Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all of the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because in excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. 
He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you've not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tikal, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mina, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Pires, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your holy and sacred word. We bow before you, O Father, that you may instruct us and teach us of how this incident that took place so many years ago How, O Father, should it instruct us this morning? O Father, how should we live in light of these things that have taken place? O Father, teach us, O O Father, the implications. Give to us, O Father, that which you have uh, set out uh, to teach uh, through uh, the recording of this word, O Father. In short, Lord, we, we desire to hear your voice. So, oh, Father, open our hearts that we, we may receive your word. And, oh, Father, brighter, bridle our wills that we may walk in it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning, uh, our text speaks directly to the fact that when we think we can become something without God, we're actually completely out of touch uh, with reality. Uh, Really, about everything that I'm going to say this morning uh, has to do with uh, either being out of touch with reality or uh, more positively getting in touch uh, with reality. All around us, both inside the church and outside We're stung with this deceitful notion that we can become something, even something great, uh, on our own, uh, without God. We see this in the arena of politics all the time, uh, that we can solve the poverty issue without God, even though Christ said, the poor you will always have with you. We can override that, you know. 
Sure we can. We'll just get all our resources together and elect the right individual and we're going to get out of that. Yeah, sure. That's completely out of touch with reality. Or we can police the world all on our own without God. We can't even police ourselves. We're going to police the entire world out of touch with reality. We can fix the economy all on our own without God. Never. You know, I'm not an economist, but I've been saying for forever, we really only need to do three things to fix the economy. You know, just, just from a, an, an old simple businessman, you know, three things. One, look out for each other. Two, quit gouging each other. And three, if you don't work, you don't eat. Three things. I, I would submit to you those three simple things would fix the economy. You know, <laughs> I... When we're looking out for each other, we're not stealing and cheating and taking gross advantage of each other's misfortune. There, there, there are people piling up piles of cash that make their living doing just that. You know, when we're looking out for each other, we're coming along the, alongside the poor and disadvantages, which what God calls us everywhere to do in His Word, isn't it? And when we're charging a fair price, we're not gouging each other. And it's the Apostle Paul who tells us, he tells the Thessalonians, if anyone is not willing to work, let him, let him not eat. And when I say that, you might be thinking I have uh, the poor in mind. I don't have the poor in mind when I say that. Not necessarily. There are a lot of people out there who are getting filthy rich, who are doing practically nothing because all of the people under them are carrying all the freight. That's a perfectly valid, I think, uh, application of that. You don't work, you don't eat, no matter what station you're in. There are some people who can't work for whatever reasons. But see, that's the first thing speaks to that. If we look out for each other, we'll take care of that. But this, uh, this is never going to happen without God, is it? Why? Because our hearts have to change. <laughs> We're never going to march to this beat while we're full of greed, malice, and self-centeredness, and only Christ can give us a new heart. So we'll never accomplish this without the gospel. And, you know, if we step out of the political arena this morning into what I'll call the personal arena, uh, we find this principle alive and well. I mean, consider the, the old idea of the self-made man. Is there any such thing as a self-made man? Who gives us the breath that we take? Who's given us all of the abilities that we have? Who has given us the, uh, the, the, the aptitude to do uh, certain things? Who has presented before us opportunities that aren't presented before everyone? Who has done all of these things? The self-made man did all of these things? There's no such thing as a self-made man. Men don't make themselves... God makes men. God makes women. And if we've learned anything from Daniel, it's God who sets people up, isn't it? It's God who brings people down. There's no such thing as a self-made man. We could go down the list. We could continue to go on and on. All of this is completely out of touch with reality. It's just completely out of touch with reality. And our story this morning has been given to us, I would say, there's many things we could do with this story this morning, but... Uh, my purpose this morning is to show that, boy, these characters are out of step with reality. They're really out of step with reality. And uh, I think that one of the things that we're right to do with this text is 
to be brought back into reality, uh, for we too are often stepping uh, out of reality. If we look with verse 1, if we just start at the beginning and retell the story, making a few comments as we go along. In verse 1, the king throws a a big bash, doesn't he? Uh, He throws a big bash for a thousand of his lords, and um, it's pretty clear that he's throwing it for himself too, uh, for we're told in verse 1 that he's drinking wine where? Is he in the back not being noticed? Is he just kind of mingling along, not trying to draw any attention to himself? No, we're told that he's drinking wine in front of them. So we have a little bit of an idea of what's taking place here, and we can almost start to imagine the, uh, the, the scene here. We see the crass pride of this man immediately in view, but uh, the, 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 the whole madness just takes on a whole other dimension when somewhere along the line, uh, the king gets it in his head, hey, let's, um, let's go get those vessels, you know, that, um, that my father Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the ones that he swooped out of the out of uh, the Jewish temple there, you know, a uh, number of years ago. You know, what are those things? I think I, know, well, I think I know where they're at. Blow the dust off of them and bring them in. Let's have us a party. Let's drink from those things. So he gave the command, and that's what they did. They went, uh, his heathen friends went and got these vessels, and, and uh, as if it wasn't bad enough that they're uh, using these vessels that were set apart for sacred use. If it isn't bad enough that, that they've brought those in and they're handling them, uh, in verse 4 we're told that as they drank from these things, they're doing so while praising the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Arrogance is not enough, and blasphemy is not enough. It has to be, we've got to complete the thing with uh, idolatry. And then the party takes a turn in verse 5. Their fun is brought to an end when Belshazzar sees the fingers of a hand write an inscription on the plaster of the wall. <laughs> this, this scares the king to uh, the very core. We're, we're told that his knees are knocking. We're told that his color changed. And uh, really in the original, uh, we're told that his loins were loosened. Uh, what does that mean? Um, I don't want to be gross here, but there's a pretty good chance that where this man was standing, there was a puddle underneath him. Uh, That's what's being uh, conveyed here. Uh, He is scared out of his wits. Well, the worldly man does what worldly men do. He attempts to get to the bottom of the situation without God. In other words, the worldly man leads on the world's resources. about about this time, we're starting to really wonder. We know what he's going to do. He's going to call in the wise men, isn't he? (laughs) Do you suppose that the Father, do you suppose that the Holy Spirit, do you suppose that Jesus, do you suppose that they're trying to teach us something with the repetition of all of that? You know, as the, the, the more I study these chapters, it's more, it's like the same message over and over and over and over and over again, isn't it? Now, why would God give us the same message over and over and over again? Because we're so prone to committing the same mistakes over and over again, aren't we? He's scared out of his wits. This is where his real theology comes out. This is where his real belief system comes out. Get the wise men. You say, what? Get the wise men. Get them in here. Well, king, okay. But I, I, I really don't know why you keep them guys on the payroll anyway. 
We, we have no record of them really assisting you in any kind of way, but, but we'll get them. So he brings them in. Verse 8 tells us this is a complete disaster. They're incompetent. They cannot even read the message, let alone interpret it. So uh, there's a king and his guests are alarmed and perplexed. Uh, in comes a new character, the queen. Uh, who is this queen? I don't think we know exactly. I think our best guess is she was probably married to Nebuchadnezzar, who at this point is uh, passed on. Many years have gone by from chapter 4 to chapter 5. Daniel actually now is probably in his 80s, actually, probably around 80 years of age. And uh, the queen mother comes in uh, to the uh, banquet, and uh, we may wonder why she has not been in the meeting all along. Where was she at while the party was taking place? And I think maybe there's a clue in this. I only offer this to you as just, a, just an idea. I, I, I can't say thus say the Lord about this one, but I'm personally inclined to think that maybe she had more scruples than the rest of this gang, just chose to stay out of there. And one of the reasons I think that, and I'm inclined to lean this way, is because of the advice that she brings. What does she do? Hey, king, what about Daniel? And there's another clue right there. She calls him Daniel. She doesn't use the Babylonian name that was assigned to him, the name that's impregnated with false gods. She says, you know, there's this guy, um, verse 11. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father. Light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Why? Verse 12, because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called, and he'll show you the interpretation. She's very confident, isn't she? Daniel will get it done. He'll get it done. <laughs> notice, notice the in contrast of all of this. You know, if we look to verse 13, immediately the king is, he speaks in a condescending demeanor towards Daniel. If you look at verse 13 with me, then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, you're that Daniel, aren't you? One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought in from Judah. It's like the first thing he does is he puts Daniel in his place. You're one of those captives. You're a member of those uh, ragtag, that ragtag bunch down in Jerusalem that we sacked. Uh, my father went in and sacked and he plundered the temple and... Uh, you know, he's putting Daniel, he's, he's attempting to put Daniel in his place, isn't he? There's such a condescending tone here. In the king's eyes, Daniel's a captive. Now, how ironic. I, I don't know who else is in this bunch, but uh, if Daniel is the only one other than these thousand lords and the king himself, and I, I can't quite speak for the queen, but there's very few people here who, <laughs> who, who aren't captives. <laughs> Daniel is the only one who's free, actually. 
In the king's eyes, Daniel's the captive, but that's uh, uh, out of touch with reality. The king's actually captive, as we'll see. I mean, it's a big lie that submitting to Christ imprisons you. That's a big lie, you know, when we think, well, I'm going to submit my life to Christ. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. I'm going to give my life to Christ. Boy, I don't know. It's a big lie that that imprisons you. That's a really popular and big deceptive lie. One, of course, the king has bought into. Submitting to Christ sets you free. The king continues in verse 14. He says, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. No kidding. They couldn't even read the, they couldn't even read the writing. Verse 16. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now notice what he says next. Now if, if you can read the writing... And make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Notice the words, Daniel, if. If you can read the writing. It's almost like the king is skeptical of this whole thing. Okay, well, no one else has done it. You know, we brought in all the wise men here. You know, we've brought in all the leading experts here, Daniel. All right. I'm going to, you know, we're going to listen to the queen. If you can do this, you can have the purple uh, garments. You can have the chain around your neck, and you can be made third in your kingdom. And, of course, purple in this, in this culture, purple clothing uh, would have been extremely expensive. And a chain of gold around your neck, that would have been an emblem of great status, you know, and and third in, in the kingdom. <laughs> I have to laugh. You know, I'm sorry I'm laughing through this whole thing, but you've you, you got to laugh. I mean, think about it for a minute. I'm assuming that there's someone who already is third in the kingdom, and uh, my good guess is they're probably in the party. And uh, suppose you're third in kingdom and you're in a party, and here the king is. He's got a puddle on the floor. He's jumping up and down. He's calling the magicians. He said, listen, uh, Whoever, uh, whoever can tell me the reading of the wall, you're going to be third in the kingdom. Well, what about me? At that period in time, Belshazzar was a co-regent with his father. His father was still alive, still king, having a lot of political problems at the time. So that puts Belshazzar second in command. Uh, third's always interested in, in uh, promoting too. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know what happens. I, I guess it's no good to be in third place. Maybe that's why Daniel's telling uh, Belshazzar from the beginning, listen, you can keep your gifts. Because they're empty. He, it's because he's so out of touch with reality, he doesn't even realize he has nothing to offer. It's, it's almost like Daniel's like, man, if you had something to give, that'd be one thing, but you don't even have anything to offer. Not anything real. Not anything that I would want. You're so out of touch with reality. In verse 17, Daniel gets to respond. And notice his first order of business concerns the gifts. He tells the king, you know, you can keep them. You can keep them. Then he promises to read the inscription. But first, 
He gives the king a rebuke, doesn't he? In fact, his, you know, I spent a lot of time this week trying to, trying to really get to the bottom of this. You know, I, I, Daniel's, Daniel's disposition with Belshazzar is a lot different than his disposition with Nebuchadnezzar. It really is. Um, and I, 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 we go into that. It, it's, 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 that's a sermon for another day. But I just want to point your, your attention to the fact, and I invite you to, to check that out for yourselves. If you compare Daniel's disposition towards Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 and his disposition towards Belshazzar in chapter 5, you're going to see a whole different attitude. In fact, case in point, if we, uh, if we look um, at verse 18 and following, and mind you, one of the functions of the prophets was to be a conscience to the king. And Daniel was certainly functioning this way. In verse 18, he says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And you notice Daniel right there, he's, he's speaking of the source, isn't he? He's speaking of the source of the greatness that Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed, the glory that Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed. Where did it come from? It came from God. It wasn't intrinsic to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, And because of the greatness that he gave him, all of the people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. You know, we see how powerful he was, whom he would, he killed, whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. And really, I mean, we can stop right there and just make a contrast. And you know, when Nebuchadnezzar said things, I think there was a whole different reaction in the kingdom than when Belshazzar said things. Again, that's a sermon for another day. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed like grass. He was, I'm sorry, he was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew what? Until he knew the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. What's Daniel doing? He's basically recounting the events that we studied last week in chapter 4, isn't he? It's really amazing. I mean, God wants to show this powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar, that it is truly him. I'm the one that sets up kings. I'm the one who removes kings. And think about the way he did it. He'd already set Nebuchadnezzar up, and Nebuchadnezzar is on the palace uh, rooftop, and he's walking around, and he's looking at the, the wonders of Babylon, and he says, look at this great Babylon, which I have made. And in an instant, God removed him, leveled him to a beast, took this glorious, powerful man, and sent him out into the field on all fours, eating grass, with the beasts. But then God demonstrates His power again after a period of time, set and decreed by God, like this. Not only reinstalls Him, but installs Him to a glory that surpassed His former glory. Now what, 
What a powerful message. If, if we were exiles, if we were Daniel, we were his three friends, we were faithful Israelites who had been carried off, our city had been sacked, the temple had been destroyed, unimaginable things had been done to our people. Could you imagine how that would have ministered to us? Seeing God bring down this powerful oppressor and then putting him back up again. Whoa, God's still in charge. Such a powerful message. God is still in charge. God is still in charge. Well, what's the lesson for Belshazzar? You know, it's, it's clearly stated in verse 21, isn't it? It was so that Nebuchadnezzar would know, realize, and admit that it's the Most High who rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And, I, 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 you know, it's interesting here that in verse 22, Daniel applies the lesson to Belshazzar with a sharp rebuke. He says to the king, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. In other words, you're not ignorant to this. This has been the talk of the palace for decades. How could, that, how could that escape the notice of those in the palace? Have you seen Nebuchadnezzar lately? I think he's taken leave of his senses. He just wants to be out in the field. You know, we've got business to take care of. He hasn't been making it to any meetings, and he's, you know, his hair's getting really long, and he's not bathing. I mean, what are we going to do? How could that escape the notice? Can you imagine the headlines? Can you imagine the interviews? Can you imagine all of the things, the press conferences? What are we going to do? Could you imagine the power struggles in his vacancy? Belshazzar knew all of this, yet he had not humbled himself. Belshazzar knew of the incident, yet he had not helmed himself. We see that this lesson is not just for Nebuchadnezzar, it's for Belshazzar. And as we, as we make application to Belshazzar, we see it's not just for Belshazzar either, it's for us too, isn't it? It's for us too. No, no, Daniel chides the king. You knew all of this and you went even further. Verse 23, you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drank wine from them. You've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God who's in, in whose hand is your breath. You know, you're breathing, aren't you? You're breathing. It's not on your own that you're doing this. All your ways are from God, and you have not honored. You have not honored Him. In verse 24, then from His presence, the hand that was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing. So now Daniel's going to read the writing for him. He says, Mine, mine, tiko parson. And now Daniel will give the interpretation. Verse 26, Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, brought it to an end. Tiko, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then in verse 29, Belshazzar, he makes good on his promise to reward Daniel. And Los, verse 30, we learn that that very night Belshazzar is killed by Darius the Mede. That's an interesting comment there, isn't it? That very night, Belshazzar is killed by Darius the Mede. Now, these are the days before the Apache helicopter. It's not like there's an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean or in the Black Sea 
And it's not like there are helicopters or fighter jets flying under the radar. These ancient kings came with large armies and they laid siege. It was a, it was a slow process. In other words, where am I going with this? Belshazzar had to realize that Darius was knocking on his door. How could he not know that he was under attack? <laughs> He's completely out of touch with reality. He doesn't think things can happen to him. Death is knocking on his door, and he's completely aloof, completely out of touch with reality. He parties while the Medes and Persians were attacking his kingdom. Him and his lords are partying. They're getting drunk while all of these things are happening. As he parties on, he's living out the remaining hours of his numbered days. Little does he know that God has numbered each of his days. In other words, all of his days are a gift from God, aren't they? He's being weighed. His present actions are sealing his eternal fate. Belshazzar is completely out of touch with reality. Or he would be going about things in a whole different way, wouldn't he? His kingdom, which under his leadership is completely opposed to God, is about to be taken away from him, and he parties on, and is completely out of touch with the devastating reality that he is soon to be destroyed. Now, it's not hard to see where I'm going with the application of this. Uh, You and I are not kings of Babylon. I wish that I could stand here before you and say that, that Belshazzar doesn't apply to me, I wish that I could stand here and say that. I wish that uh, <laughs> I wish I could say that this text didn't didn't apply to me. But you know, it's uh, it applies to each one of us. Because see, the more we learn about Belshazzar, uh, the more we learn about our own hearts. Let me let me just take you through two points here, and I'll wrap this up. Belshazzar, you know, we're we're prone to be empire builders. You know, Belshazzar he lives to he lives to serve. His kingdom. Notice uh, in the text, you know, what's Daniel say to Belshazzar? He says the days of whose kingdom are numbered? He says the days of your kingdom are numbered. That, that, that pronoun is so important. Belshazzar, the days of your kingdom are numbered. They're numbered by the king whose kingdom has no number. And that's, that's, that's a powerful message to us. Because in each one of our hearts, there's a Belshazzar. And it's called self. You know, just yesterday, I found myself in a situation, a really, really tough situation. And, uh, oh, did I see Belshazzar raising his head. Oh, did I see the God of self raising its head. I never sp- spoke a word. I was able to keep my mouth shut. 
the only one, there were only two people that were, that was knowing what was going on in my heart and it was my wife and my Lord. I was so angry inside that I was mentally entertaining punching someone. That's that God of self. That's that Belshazzar. That's my will be done in my kingdom. Is there anybody here who can relate with that? Is there anybody here who's conquered self to such a degree that self no longer raises its head? That's really the enemy, you know? That's really what God has to conquer in order to convert our hearts, in order to bring us into a relationship with Him. He's got to conquer self. And, and, and praise be to God that by He works in such a way, by way of His Holy Spirit, that that's what He does. He conquers self, but He doesn't destroy it. There's still a remnant of that old self in there, isn't there? And every day, self wants on the throne. It, self takes you out of touch with reality. You see, what God is doing with this text is He's trying to bring us back into reality. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Or look at Belshazzar, rather. He's out throwing a party. And, and, and Darius is not, he's making his way into the palace. You know, there was this big wall around Babylon. Babylon was big. There was this big, huge wall. How does Darius get in there? How is he able to kill him? They're scaling the wall. Or they're going through it, or they're breaking down the gates. They're doing something. There's a military campaign taking place while they're having a party. It reminds you of Jonathan Edwards' old sermon, you know, the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he speaks, he speaks about unbelievers. They're, they're like... As unbelievers were like those who dangle over the abyss on, a, on nothing but a spider web, but a thread. And it isn't as if we can see the abyss and we're like praying and holding on and hoping that the thread will hold us and keep us from falling into the abyss. No, no, we're so out of touch with reality that we're dancing and having a party on the end of this. This little string. Has anybody ever read that sermon? And that's, that's the self. So out of touch with reality. Our days are also numbered. Our days are numbered. And you know, we have also been found wanting. Apart from Christ, each one of us, if we're weighed in the balance, and in fact, we've been weighed in the balance, and we've been found wanting, God weighed us in the balance. We were found wanting. So God came in the person of Jesus Christ to fix that. We have no righteousness. God comes in the person of Jesus Christ, lives that perfect life, takes that life to the cross, dies in the place of you and me, so that He can cover us up of the nakedness that we're so out of touch with reality we don't realize we're even in. So that He can bring us into reality. Isn't that amazing? And He would do that for us. 
I think that's the, one of the most powerful lessons that we get from this is our days are numbered. Every breath, talent, and grace that we have is received from God. And as we leave through those doors, let's take an inventory of this. What are we going to do with our gifts, our resources, our talents as we go through that door? Let's honor God with those things because they've all come from Him, haven't they? And in lieu of this, self has to be impeached. Self has to be dethroned. That's what repentance is, is dethroning self. Dethroning self is repentance. Self you no longer rule. Christ you rule. This isn't something we do one time. My goodness, I, I found myself yesterday doing this really by the moment. Moment by moment. Repenting. Because self wanted to rule. Self says, no, I'm going to rule. I'm going to rule. You're going to open your mouth. You're going to say something really nasty. That's what you're going to do. Well, I didn't say anything nasty. But I'm not off the hook because I thought lots of things that were nasty. And I entertained those thoughts, I will add. And I don't say this to make a joke out of it. I say this because I want to relate this text to your heart. This is how this text applies. Self has to be impeached. We can't do this ourselves any more than I could yesterday. We can't. That's why we cry to God for His mercy afresh each day, in each hour of each day. Self has got to go. And I want to leave you with the very best part when it comes to these things. We're not reaching for victory here. We're not reaching for victory here. We're reaching from victory. We need to remember that you're not going to get anywhere with this unless you understand that in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you, there is no condemnation for you. That's where the power comes from. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, Jesus has done this for you. He has set you free from yourself. We have a battle that we're going to fight but we're fighting from victory if you're in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus this morning, then you need to take a look at Belshazzar because to be outside of Christ Jesus is to be completely out of touch with reality. And he gives us a powerful lesson here, doesn't he? That night he was killed. He went to a place where he is still at. Belshazzar, still being punished for his sins this day. And when 3,000 years go by, he's still going to be there. But you know, the flip side of that, Daniel went to a place where he is still at. And 3,000 years from now, he'll have no less days to sing God's praise than in the hour which the first began. Amen? Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you for this old story. We're just so amazed, oh Father, how this, this old Babylonian king just shows us a road, oh Father, that we certainly want to avoid and shy away from, stay away from. And Father, 
avoid at all costs. And we thank you, O Lord, for the Savior that you have given us. As Daniel's God saved him, O Father, our God saves us. And he is one and the same God. And Daniel needed Christ as much as we need Christ. O Father, we thank you that you've given us Christ. So, O Father, we pray that you would touch our hearts afresh with these things this morning. That as we leave from here this morning, Father, that we'd be mindful of these things. And, O Father, give us victory. Continue to give us victory over those battles with self. Bring us into touch with reality, O Father. In Jesus' name, amen.